Ryan Reese. This is Live with Ryan Reese. Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I am super pumped for this story tonight. I'm stoked all you guys have joined us. I have Pete Cropsey in studio. This story is going to be gnarly. I know this man. I've been friends with him for, shoot, I don't even know. I was going to say five, like roughly five years. Um, legit guy. And he's in studio. And this story, we're going to start at the very beginning with him um, on his journey to faith. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the subjects we're going to be hitting on tonight is very relevant in, in uh, the world right now. Just as you look through social media and you're seeing what people are into, this story is going to hit a lot of different areas. Um, it's not just one area. It's, it's going to be very broad. So, Pete, I want to thank you for coming in. You are a pastor now. Yeah, Pastor First Love Church, Costa Mesa. Listeners, don't be fooled. Just because he's a pastor right now, this story where he's going to come from was very far from a pastor. But now he is here in uh, Orange County in Costa Mesa First Love Church. It's held at the Hurley Building. And uh, when is it? It's on Sundays. Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock. Donuts and coffee show up at 930. And it's amazing. It's a great location, great teaching, and a great place to be. So come out there, look them up, First Love Church. Firstlovechurch.net. There it is. So, Pete, let's um, let's just get into it because we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, obviously. we do. We do. So where'd you grow up? I grew up primarily in Laguna Beach, California, during the hippie era, Brotherhood of Eternal Love, epicenter of the drug, free love culture, um, new age thinking, Eastern philosophy, all through the 60s and early 70s. Interesting mm. enough, that's very uh, that's very uh, relevant right now as well. Yeah, sure. A lot of people are into this whole new age way of thinking. It's, it's actually come back very strong. Come back very strong. Yeah. And it's a lie. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so before you, before you got to the whole hippie uh, movement, there was a lot of stuff that happened when you were growing up, uh, you know, when you were younger. Well, let me start by saying this, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I love you very much. I love your wife and your kids. And, uh, you know, we have had a, a, a great friendship over the last few years. But um, so for me, you know, um, it really is unusual that, well, no, I guess it's not so unusual that I ended up being a pastor because God wants to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, as we know. Yes. And uh, he's certainly done that with me. But um, going back, I think, that, you know, it's poignant if we start with um, the events that took place around my early childhood. And that was, uh, uh, I was born in Summit, New Jersey. My family moved to Laguna Beach when I was less than a year old. And, um, and my dad, my dad was a Spoke 11 languages. He was a, a literary genius, and, uh, and he was working in Los Angeles in Hollywood in, in the early, late 50s and early 60s. And, uh, you know, that was the beatnik time, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, he was hanging out at a place like Shelley's Manhole and all the jazz scene and everything. Well, he would, he would go to uh, uh, L.A. on Monday morning, and then he wouldn't come home till Friday night, so he had an apartment up there. And I remember when I was four, and, you know, it's, it's unusual to remember these things, you know, so early on, but I remember this vividly. Uh, he came home from work on a Friday night, and uh, he... Uh, uh, <laughs> He came in the house, and I was supposed to be in bed, but I was hiding behind the door listening. And, uh, you know, he, my mother said to him, she goes, Charles, I know you're having an affair. And he's like, no, I'm not having an affair. She's like, well, be that as it may, I know that you are, and so I want you out. I, I can't be married to a man who's going to treat me that way. And my, my mom is very, very uh, direct, yeah. you know. And, um, and so uh, he said, okay, my stuff will be out by Sunday. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting to hear 
my name. Like, well, what are we going to do about Peter? Or, yeah. you know, and, and there was nothing forthcoming. So, you know, I was kind of, it maybe sounds like a small thing, but it just contributed to my sense of invisibility. 100%. You know? how, wait, how old were you at that time? I was four. four. I was four. Dang, so young. And I didn't see my dad for another year. And, uh, <laughs> and so he shows up on my birthday, on my fifth birthday, and he wants to take me somewhere. And my mom's like, okay, you can. And, and he take, we're driving and driving and driving and driving. We end up way out in the hills behind San Diego. And uh, he took me to a nudist camp and, uh, for my fifth birthday. I'm like, how weird is that? What you was know, going so, on in your mind at this point? You just I, kind of tripped you know, I, I, I was tripping, you yeah. know, I mean, all these bodies and, you know, ages and dip. Oh, it was kind of crazy, man. Yeah. But you know, it's, I, 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 I adapted fairly quickly because they had a pool and I love to swim. Right. right? right. So, right. you know, I, you know, it, it became pretty normal pretty fast because kids are so flexible. But uh, true, it did, uh, you know, create in me and that, you know, it did create in me. Uh, it was the, the beginning of the breakdown of morality. You know, the Bible tells us that, you know, we should never see our parents naked and, you know, we shouldn't see our sisters and we just shouldn't see anybody naked unless we're married to them. Right. Right. And uh, so that kind of blew that out for me. And, um, you know, and then the next thing uh, that, that was uh, transformational for me was uh, uh, and I, I was sworn to never tell my mother. And that's another thing, the lying by omission. So it started out really young with me. I was abandoned uh, by my father, felt invisible. Then he shows up and takes me to this nudist camp and then he swears me to secrecy. So I'm already five years old. I'm carrying baggage, you know. Yep. And uh, at seven, um, my mother, who was a clothes designer in Laguna Beach at the time, got an opportunity to uh, go to work for a, a woman's clothing company in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Mm -hmm. So off we went. And, um, and I remember, uh, you know, flying into the airport in Puerto Vallarta and this, uh, looking out the window and seeing this verdant green jungle and this beautiful river flowing down into this turquoise ocean. And, uh, uh, and I, I just was so excited. It was like, this is the most, it was surreal. It's like the first time at Disneyland as a kid, you know, like totally. what the heck? And so, uh, I, I, uh, you know, as we're landing the plane, there's like iguanas sending themselves on the tarmac. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be unbelievable. And I was, I, I was literally thinking about like what it must've looked like back then. Jurassic park, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I, I, I knew, I knew I was going to go native, you know, yeah. if, if my mom knew how native I was really going to go, she probably would have turned around on the next flight back. But, um, <laughs> I was the only white kid in town at that time in, in 1963, late 62, uh, there was five taxi cabs. There was no Nuevo Vallarta. It was all just, uh, the Rio Quale area. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, being the only white kid in town, I got in a fight every day for the first six months. And then it was all of a sudden like they had a meeting while I was asleep and decided I was okay. I guess it's because I was learning to fight and now they weren't getting, you know, they were getting hit. Right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, so, so, um, uh, it wasn't long after I was there that I, I was, um, I met this man, his name was Jesus. They called him Chewy. And, uh, he was a virile, tough, uh, mid twenties Mexican fellow, um, and he, uh, he started uh, uh, mentoring me, and he was teaching me um, bow hunting and spear fishing and horseback riding. And um, oh, what I didn't know um, was that he was grooming me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were on a hunting trip, bow hunting trip up into the jungle on horseback. And we stopped at this hunter's camp, and, uh, and he began to molest me. And you're, you're how old at this time? I was just about to be eight. Okay. So, you know, I asked myself questions like, what was my mom thinking letting me? But, you know, it was a different culture. I mean, you know, back then when we were kids, we were on the streets until dark. And I don't know. But, it, well, um, no, it was different back there. Even me growing up. I mean, we used to go 
on camping trips and different things with groups of guys. I mean, it was a different time back then. It was a and different it, time. And you were, I mean, that was even 20 years before me. Yeah, really. I'm yeah. old. I'm old, Ryan. So, um, <laughs> you look good. So, uh, uh, you know, we're, he began to molest me. And, um, and uh, I, I, you know, being just about eight years old, I had, I had no concept of sexuality. I had no yeah. concept of really, you know, I've already been a little bit compromised morally because of the nudist camp adventure, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm already, uh, like when you, uh, when you hammer an abalone steak to soften it up, I was already softened up for sin, it's you true. know. It's I true. really was. And even though I don't feel like this was my sin, it was sin nonetheless. And it was around me and in, in, in permeating my life. And so, uh, you know, I made a compromise. And my compromise was that um, if he doesn't hurt me, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'm not willing to lose the things that he's bringing to the table for me. Right. You know, the bow hunting and the spear fishing and the horseback riding. It was all too, uh, I was too hung. And that was the grooming, you know, he knew. Yeah. And, uh, but um, as time went on, um, it did become way more intrusive and became violent and the threats against my family and I'm going to kill your mother if you say anything or I'm going to kill you and, and all this. And, and I, so I, Is this now, all within that year? Yes. Okay. Within it, and this went on for a little over a year and um, uh, I was terrorized. Yeah. You know? But my mom uh, met my stepfather during that time, Edward Giddings, a renowned architect. But at any rate, uh, he always had a, a, a gallon of vodka on the, on the counter at the house. You know? And I was coming back from this episode with Chewy and I was hurt, and I was scared, and um, I saw that bottle of vodka. Now I'm eight years old, and I took my first drink. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew right then that I was born to substance abuse. I mean, I didn't conceptualize it like that, but it was like every single hurt and doubt and fear was completely eradicated. Yeah. And uh, okay. so this continued on, and it got progressively more intrusive and, and invasive. And... Uh, uh, you know, I was walking Maya, my horse, through town one day, and it was Ash Wednesday. And um, I'm scared. I'm scared. Literally, my whole life has become fear, and fear of even seeing this man but knowing I couldn't escape it, and uh, um, the fear of the secret. And um, I'm walking through town, and it's Ash Wednesday, and I see all the, you know, the, the center point of any Mexican colonial town is the Catholic Church. And right. so Puerto Vallarta is the same. They've got a beautiful cathedral there. There's a bunch of sandstone steps leading up to the doors. And um, I saw this woman, and she was on her knees making her way up to the, uh, the doors of the, of, the, of the church. And I saw worship for the first time in my life. And um, I had no idea what it was, really. Uh, but... Um, God, God was there, and God spoke to me. You know, He well, spoke you, to my heart. Did you hear heart. like a, a, okay? So he, he spoke, spoke to, to my his, heart. Yeah. You know, and basically, but I mean, you know, it's like it's, if if you've ever had God speak to you, you know, it's like it, maybe it's not such an audible thing, but it feels audible because it's so real. Yeah. You know, I'm like, whoa, who's that? You know, and it mm -hmm. was like, um, he's not like I'm God, and nobody's. I just got this sense. He said, "I love you. I'll never leave you." And then he said the most poignant thing he said someday you'll understand wow that's crazy so two weeks Amazing. later i was on a plane to go live with my father in, in in los angeles and he lived in laurel canyon lookout mountain road the epicenter of the uh the singer songwriter um scene in la and you know neighbors were like Joni mitchell and uh jackson brown and, and chris hillman from the birds and these were the people that were surrounding me and they were the people that my dad was hanging out around he was a photographer in the music business and um um, I remember uh, 
just being immersed in this culture, and he was still very much the nudist, and 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 so. What 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 year was this? Oh, 1965. So, that, so that's when it was just all hitting. Yeah. Like the, the, yeah. And we're getting ready to enter to that time where Eastern mysticism came into this country through the Beatles with the Maharishi and, and you know, the all, all that. that you know, the Eastern philosophy suddenly became a, a, a thing. Right. And it's strange because the, the drug culture back then, um, it's, it's funny how Satan works his, uh, his game because back then the drug culture seemed so innocent. And it was, un, it was not uncommon for parents to get stoned with their kids because it was all a spiritual kind of adventure, a spiritual kind of seeking. That's the way they looked at it. That's the way they looked at it. You know, we're opening up our minds and, you know, we're exploring the realm of, of, of you know, psychedelia. And and uh, and so I, I began to get high with my dad. And, uh, you know, at 10 years old, he, you know, we took LSD together. And, uh, um, but it was just a very crazy time. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, I was there for quite a while. And, um, two, three years with my dad up in L.A., and then my, uh, my mom and my stepdad moved back to Laguna Beach, and, and so I went to live with them. And uh, it was like going from one crazy drug-infused scene to another because I, I, I don't know, I've, I've always been drawn to, the, uh, to kind of the wild side, I guess you'd say, yeah. and I don't know, you know what that's about really, but uh, you know, I, I found the brotherhood. I found the brotherhood of eternal love. There was this kid, um, Stevie. and uh, Wait, his, that was like an LSD movement. Right? Yeah, it was a total LSD movement. Orange Sunshine. Uh, I, you know, I saw it, the whole documentary on that on Netflix. Yeah, you can ask Odin Fong about that. He was right there in the middle of it. So, wow. um, uh, you know, so I hooked up with these people, and um, Timothy Leary was in the mix then, and, and uh, uh, you know, there was this whole underground movement of, of, of uh, the drug culture, and they were smuggling a lot of marijuana in and out, in, out of Mexico, and then the Colombian, and, and then the hash, and... And all that, and I was an errand boy, and I was doing all this stuff with, oh, yeah. with those people, and um, and then I met Max Jeunesse. which they believe that that was for the greater good of mankind. Absolutely, the brotherhood. Absolutely. So here's the thing, you know, it's, a, it's that whole because they were anti the whole uh, government and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And what a, a, a pivotal time in our culture, you know, gay rights are funny, women's rights, uh, civil rights, all of these, you know, this country racism. Was, yeah, but yeah. The whole this thing. country was involved in a transformation. I mean, the '60s were. Oh, Dr. Drew said it's the worst era that we've ever experienced it, you know. But um, it, 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 was, it, was, it was crazy, the stuff that was going on, the exploratory nature of people's hearts and minds at that time. But so, so Satan totally used that because he came in and he presented drugs as a, as a spiritual experience. Right. And, uh, you know, we all have this Genesis 126. It says, uh, God says, let us go down and create man in our own image. And so if we're created in the image of God, we're naturally going to be created with a, a vacant spot in our heart where only God can fit. But Satan comes along and goes, hey, explore this spiritual realm with, the, with these drugs. And so people did that. And, and uh, uh, it, it, was, it was wild. But um, I met Max Jeunesse. And Max Jeunesse was a heroin addict and a heroin dealer. And... Uh, he was the coolest dude I'd ever seen in my life. Slick back hair, tattoos from his fingernails to his earlobes, always dressed, per, had a 1950 Chevy lowrider that was dropped to the ground, always had some dark girl with him, and I was like, oh, I want to be that guy. Now, guys weren't covered in tattoos back then too much, right? Not, not too much. I mean, they, they, he was they a, existed. He was a rarity. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't, but, he, wasn't but he was cool, man. I mean, that guy just carried himself with, you know, just crazy cool. I wanted to be him. So yeah. I started following him around and I ended up running errands for him. And I, uh, that was when I got introduced by now I'm 12 years old and, uh, I, I got, I got introduced to heroin and, um, that quickly, uh, all, you know, because I was still running from the pain 
and and yeah. and never really feeling uh, okay in my own skin. I always felt um, separated. I, you know, I I didn't fit in in school. I I didn't fit in. Um, with the sports kids, I did. I, I I only fit in with the kids that were hanging by the back fence smoking cigarettes, and uh, and 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 my my life was really. Even though I tried to compensate for it by, uh, uh, you know, this whole macho image that I began to develop. And let me back up a little bit. While I was in L.A., um, my dad somehow found out. Uh, I don't know. I revealed it somehow that I had been molested, and his reaction was to. Uh, Call me a queer, spit in my face, and beat me up, and and that forged my character more than any other, more than the molestation itself. Was that mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm like, this is the man that was supposed to protect me and love me and care for me, and he threw me under the bus completely. Why do you think he threw you under the bus? I really realized many, many, many years later that he had gone to private school his entire life. Yep. And after he died, I was going through his effects. And by the way, I found a, a New Believers packet from, from Harvest and some notes he'd taken talking to a pastor at Harvest. And so thank you, Greg, uh, for leading my father to the Lord. But, um, you know, I found a picture of him at his private school standing next to a man who, uh, you know, had his arm over my father's shoulder and the eyeballs were poked out of the picture. And I'm like, oh, this is like a Catholic school or something, right? Uh, it's a private boarding school, okay, uh, you know, in, in, in the East. Got it. And all of a sudden I understood, you know, my dad's yeah. rage was not directed at me. It was directed at his own victimization. And mm-hmm. so the forgiveness was immediate. And, and uh, so anyway, so I'm there in Laguna and I, I meet Max Janess and I start doing heroin. And, and of course, um, not long after that, I'm, I'm doing burglaries and stealing things. And uh, I landed in Juvenile Hall and... Um, that began my, my career uh, in, in institutions, which wasn't as long as some people's, but it was long enough for me. I mean, you know, I did a few years here and there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and I, I, would, I would see, oh, so 12 years old, I'm walking down the street in Laguna Beach, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I see these two young men walking towards me, and they're from Teen Challenge from the castle in Riverside. And, Which uh, still exists, by the way. Still exists, and still doing amazing work for the Lord. <laughs> but um, so I'm coming out of this uh, this psychedelic fog of New Age uh, philosophy, and I, I meet these two young men, and they're like, "Hey, uh, what would happen to you if you died right now?" And I'm like, "I had no answer for that question because the, the, the you know, oh gee, am I going to be reincarnated? I don't know." And they told me, and no one. Then they shared the Romans road with me, and yeah. uh, and I, I I had all the authority of of truth you know, resounding in my heart. And I, I'm like, I, I, I said the sinner's prayer right then and there, and I, you know, I believed, I believed, I can, believed. Can you, can you tell the listeners where the Romans road is, where to read? It's several scriptures, Romans 3.23, Romans, uh, I, now you put me on the spot, but well, it's, it, it's, it's, just, it, it's basically, it, it's describing the, the process of, of our, our lostness in the world and, and our inability to do um, God's will and then takes us to a place of reconciliation to God through several scriptures in the book of Romans. Starting with 3.23, we all have fallen short of the Read, Lord read the book of Romans. Yeah, read the book Start of Romans. Start there. God's, uh, 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 Paul's uh, uh, treatise on grace. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, these young men shared with me, and I believed, and, and it was powerful. And, uh, I, and so the seed was scattered, but, it, you know, uh, it was scattered on wayside soil because I went back out to uh, the canyon, and uh, this uh, acid prince, one-armed Herbie Einstein, I told him, I said, man, we've been doing it all wrong. It's really all about Jesus. And he's like, yeah. Uh, and here's the devil, man. Jesus is a great prophet, but there's many roads up the mountain. There's many spokes in the wheel, mm-hmm. and uh, let's get stoned. 
And uh, so, you know, that, that seed was snatched. But not really, because I really believe I was saved in that moment. Yeah. And, and yeah. the events that took place in my life after that proved to me that God had his hand over me, was protecting me um, through so many things, so many near-death experiences. And so, um, yeah, I, I, there I was, a, a, a heroin addict, at, at, at turning into a heroin addict between 12 and 14 and starting my, you know, everything that had, you know, surfing and all the things, all gone, just gone as I was plunged into this culture. And I became uh, a, a full-blown addict. Because um, the enemy, Satan, loves to rob. He wants to take away all that stuff yeah. and just make you miserable and yeah. get you caught up and just a slave to, to the, the drugs and the alcohol and even the lies in your mind. You know, if you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough. The, you deserve all the stuff that happened to you. And then he helps you medicate through, you know, the vodka and the different things. And so many people are going through that stuff even right now as we speak. You know, they, they feel like they just can't. And I, I know at the end of the show, you're going you're gonna to speak directly to them on what to do. But um, this, this story is so relatable. Even with the broken homes in, in America, so many kids are going through this stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. I think 77,000 uh, um, young people, well, people of all ages really died from fentanyl heroin overdoses in 2016. I'm not sure what the numbers are for 2017, but I can guarantee you it's much greater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been all over the country speaking at different... Uh, different venues. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I went to, uh, this little, uh, rural, uh, agricultural town in, uh, in Massachusetts. And, and, you know, 20 minutes into the town, I, I discovered, you know, five different adult people who s- said to me, my son's addicted to heroin. This is an agricultural community, right? They got to, you know, and, uh, and, and so it, it's really been brought home to me that, uh, this, this epidemic is at epic proportions. And, and we've we've got a uh, the only thing that's gonna the only thing that's gonna change this is 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 the gospel. Yep, one hundred percent. And with the fentanyl now, with the heroin now, is just like what is that a hundred times more potent? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it only it takes just a pinhead to kill you. Insane, and they're putting that stuff in everything now. It's crazy. In everything. So yeah. so anyway, we'll get but we'll get more to that stuff towards the end of the we show. We will. Um, <laughs> so Max Janess, heroin. Uh, Juvenile hall, um, never feeling, never feeling comfortable. Always feeling like the odd man out. Didn't know how to. Uh, I didn't really know how to. I com- I had stopped surfing. I was pretty much just a slave to drugs at, at fourteen. And uh, oh I mean, you man, you were really strung up by fourteen. That's, Four, that's, by fourteen. that's like some heavy stuff right and, there. And uh, and 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 so um, you know, it stayed that way until I was thirty-four years old. You know, I I um, I battled. And I, I would get locked up, and I, I'd tell myself, you know, when I get out this time, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to use. But I was so immersed in that culture, I didn't really know how to get out of it. And so I would get out of prison and, or, or jail, and I would immediately go back to it. You know, she was like the bad girlfriend, you know. Yeah. She's cheating on you. She's burning you. She's, she's doing you dirty everywhere, and yet you can't not be with her. That is a know? great illustration. Yeah, the bad girlfriend, <laughs> so heroin, the bad girlfriend. And, uh, and that's, that's so common with people because people want to get sober. Or I'll see them in a rehab or whatever, wherever I'll see them in jail, rehab, or they just got out. And they always go back. You have to change up the whole program. 
playmates, play things, and play places. But here's the thing that really needs to happen is that there needs to be some kind of passion and purpose born into your life that outweighs the need for drug addiction. Yeah. And, and that's what's got to happen, and that's what's largely missing in, in the recovery community today is we, we get these kids clean, um, and but we don't give them anything to fill that hole. No purpose. We don't give them anything to fill that hole. Um, I, I was uh, the pa- director of pastoral care. We're getting kind of getting ahead of the game here, but I was director of pastoral care for a 70-bed treatment facility for almost two years, and uh, and and I still have about twenty of those kids alumni at my church every Sunday because I, the Lord gave them something to be purposeful and passionate about, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the real transformation lies. It's not about a, a, a ninety day spin dry and and, uh, and and you know and and I'm a firm believer in the incorporation of the twelve step rooms, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and I'll get into that. Okay, so here's how it went for me. Um, I would get out of prison, and I would come to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I would listen to Papa Chuck, yep. and I would believe every word, yep. and I knew it was true, because I'd had that experience with the Romans Road and those two kids from Teen Challenge, and it wasn't lost on me that that was real. Because faith comes from hearing because, and hearing the Word of God. Yeah, and, and, and God, God had told me as a kid in, in, in those streets of Puerto Vallarta, I love you, I'll never leave you, and someday you'll understand. And... Man, that road to understanding was a long one, and I was often the rope in a tug of war between God and the devil. But uh, so, yeah, I would come to Calvary Chapel, and I would hear Papa Chuck, and I would weep, and I would know that it was the truth, but yet I felt disqualified from grace. I thought if these people knew uh, what I had done, what had been done to me, they'd want me in a different zip code. And, of course, that was so not true. Yep. And Pastor Romaine, I, I remember him one time having me up against the wall in the men's room in the foyer at, at the sanctuary at Calvary, and he's like, he's, he's, he's got tears in his eyes, like, what is wrong with you? He was a tough dude. Anybody that knew Pastor Romaine, right? yeah, he was, he, was the, he was the counterpoint to Chuck's g- gentleness. <laughs> you know, yeah. He was a very abrupt and a, a, a hard guy. And, um, you know, fortunately, he got to see me graduate from the School of Ministry before he passed. Um, but... Uh, you know, it was it was crazy how how deeply intertwined in in the world and in in addiction that the devil had me. You know, and uh, and so you know, I think my message would be, man, is is no matter what is going on in your life, no matter where you're at with addiction or or sin or or f- your sense of your own failure, um, God God has a way. And, and his ways of reconciliation and restoration and his grace. You know, when it says that if we confess our sins, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no quantification. It's not like, uh, you know, like uh, 50 times or 100 times. It's yeah. like uh, there, God's grace and mercy is, is, is tender mercies are fresh every morning. Right. And, um, and, and sometimes uh, we, the, the, the devil will use our own failures and our own shortcomings to just keep us pigeonholed in this place of condemnation. Yep. Romans 8, one says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if we're in Christ Jesus, then we know that that forgiveness is extreme and broad mm-hmm. and all-encompassing, right? Yeah. And a, so- lot of pe- a lot of people, we're going to be going to break here in a couple minutes, like probably like two minutes, but a lot of, let's just kind of end on this note till break. A lot, of get, a lot of people get stuck in that condemnation. They always feel condemned, like they, they, they're not good enough, they're a bad Christian, And we got to understand that the grace and the mercy, you know, one of my favorite verses is, you know, it talks about how God's love and his thoughts for us are more than the sands of the sea. 
and they, and they're just continually coming towards us. He loves us. That's why he came on a rescue mission out of eternity to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And the, the Bible says anyone that believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's by it's simply it's just through belief, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he will implant his spirit in us, God's spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, and we will live forever. And as we walk by faith. And by hearing the word of God, we will our faith will will grow, and our knowledge in in uh, in the word of God will grow, and that's that's how it all starts. But you can't just give your life to God and say, "I gave my life to Jesus." Don't read the Bible. Don't get plugged into church. We have to know what we believe. That's how we grow. Because a lot of people don't they read they don't read the Bible. They give their life to God. They get stuck in all these traps of the enemy into sin, and they're constantly going back because there's no growth in their spiritual walk. And what a place to live, one foot in the world and one foot in the church. and Sucks. And, and, and uh, you know, never, never really feeling completely fulfilled in Christ. And, uh, you know what it's like? It's like? it's like you're married or you're dating a girl, however you want to relate to this, but then you're constantly cheating. Yeah, exactly. You, that's, that's the best way of feeling. That is the best uh, way. One, one way in the world. Going back to the bad girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. You're, <laughs> like, you're like, dude, I love this girl, and I'm so happy when I'm with her because we're dating, and we, we both agree that we're, we're exclusive, but then you're, like, cheating and you're like living this bad life, then you go back and you feel this guilt. That's a relationship when you're not walking with when you're walking with God, and then you're it's like one foot in the world, one one foot in the church, back and forth. And if we think that we uh, are ever feeling. going to be perfect, we need simply to look at Paul's statement about why do I do the things that I don't want to do and can't do the things that I do want to do. We don't yes. have to be perfect. That's not a requirement. Yes. Um, the requirement is faith and belief and, and pursuit. We need to be proactive in a co-action with God in our lives. And the whole thing is when you have the Holy Spirit in us, that's the power from heaven. It talks about in John 7. That gives us the strength and the power to overcome sin. Amen, brother. Help us to overcome sin. Because a lot of people are like, well, I can't do it. I keep going back. Well, are you reading your Bible? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Go to the church. Have a pastor. Lay his hands on you. Pray for you that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Read the Bible and watch things change. And yes. They're going to change. Oh, we're, okay. Now we're at break. So we are going to continue with Pete Crosby. Cropsy. Cropsy. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess it up. <laughs> Two minutes right after the break. More live with Ryan Race coming up. Everything all right? Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, I think I speak for the entire administration when I say... Whoop-de-doo. Now, back to Live with Ryan Reese. Don't say we didn't warn you. We are back with Pete Cropsey in studio. Very nice. <laughs> Perfect. I wrote it down <laughs> to make sure I said it right. He's the pastor of First Love Church over here in Costa Mesa at the Hurley Building. And, you know, if you guys have joined us right before the, uh, the break, I mean, this story is intense. He grew up out here in, in, uh, in L.A. He was, he was out in uh, Laguna Beach for a while. He was part of the whole brotherhood movement. Uh, these guys that were pushing the whole sunshine doses, LSD, back in the in the late 60s, early 70s with Timothy Leary and uh, even being exposed to being molested and the whole thing. And now here he is, strung out on heroin, alcohol, everything. everything. Garbage disposal. Yes, just literally everything. So now you're at this place in your life, you're in and out of the, the institutions of, of going to juvie and jail and stuff like that. What's next? Well, so, you know, as I as I mentioned before, I, um, so, you know, I, 
I've always had this hunger. So I immediately, you know, as a young kid, I got immersed in reading the Bhagavad Gita and a, a book by Baba Ram Dass, who was actually Richard Alpert, um, Tim Leary's partner, um, Baba Ram Dass. Uh, uh, it was the New Age Bible of the 60s and early 70s, Be Here Now, and, uh, and, and, and uh, the Tao Te Ching. So I was, I was pretty well steeped in Eastern philosophy, right. as, you know, even as young as 11 and 12 years old. And, uh, and, and so um, when I heard the gospel, uh, it, it, all of a sudden, everything looked weak because there was so much truth. And I know that the Holy Spirit was just like coming at me, blasting his truth into my heart, even though it was just these two young guys who probably were newly saved themselves and they're just out on the street preaching. Yeah. And, uh, but God showed up, man, and he blasted me and I knew. And everything that I had read or studied from Eastern philosophy and New Age wisdom uh, suddenly became very unwise to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's so, so funny. I've got a, I got a little book at home. It's called The Sayings of Buddha. And I'm like, stolen from Proverbs 12. Yeah, stolen it is, from huh? Proverbs 17, <laughs> yes. you know. <laughs> so, uh-huh. uh, you know, the only true original thought and real uh, authoritative disposition about about the character of God is the Bible. Yeah. You know, there's just there's just nothing else. And when and when you read it with an open heart and an open mind, is that you know, 66 books written by 40 authors over a 1500 year period in three languages: Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And it's seamless. I Chuck Mistler used to say it's an integrated message system from outside time and space. You know, mm-hmm. and I love that. But um, so it hit me. And uh, but uh, I I I I had a lot of traveling to do. And I know that God allowed these things to happen in my life to bring me to a place. You know, I used to pray. Uh, I, I would see guys like Greg and Mike McIntosh and, and your dad and guys that had wrestled with gnarly uh, sin problems. And, and, you know, Greg's life growing up with, with his, his life, the way he, he was. And I'm like, why are these men able to adhere to the truth and stay in the gospel and stay, stay walking right with God? And I can't because I really wanted to. Yeah. And when Romaine had me up against the wall in the, in the, in the ba- men's bathroom in the foyer at the sanctuary, my heart was broken. And I still had to go back to prison. And I still had to do more drugs. And I still, and I, I would ask God, I'm like, why, uh, why don't you heal me like you healed those men? Yeah, that's a well, good question. I'm going to tell you how this happened. So it was 1987. I've been in and out of institutions um, most of my uh most of my life. I, I never did 25 years, but I did some time. I did some hey, chunks any time of time. time. I did some chunks of time <laughs> in state prison with the hardcore guys. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I posed up as that guy, you know, and um, uh, I even capitalized on that reputation. I, I remember uh, when I got out of prison, and uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But so uh, I'm in a motel room called the Caravan Inn um, in, in Anaheim, and it's right on Horse Stroll, and it's, uh, it's a gnarly place that, you know, the, the parking lot is littered with used condoms, syringes, um, empty short dog bottles from Night Train and Thunderbird, and, and dirty baby diapers, littering the carpet, you know, carpeting oh the, gosh, the, the parking scene. lot, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, and so I'm in a room there, and... Um, uh, providing security for young women who are, you know, doing what they do. And yep. uh, uh, all of a sudden, Wait, the doors and windows come crashing in. Were you in the club at that time? In. Pardon me? Were you in the club at that time? Oh, the club. Um, no. No, not yet. Okay. Yeah. I was around that biker lifestyle um, since I was a little kid. And, and, and I hung with the Hessians when I was really young. And then I became a Vago later on. Okay. But uh, so you're there I in became a Vago in 1989. So, um, so anyway, so... I'm in there, and the doors and windows come crashing in. Guys in ninja costumes. It was the gang task force for Anaheim, the special services unit for the parole office, and my parole officer. And uh, they handcuffed me up, and 
have me suitcased on the bed, which is when your ankles and your wrists are all handcuffed together so I can carry you, you know? Mm-hmm. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's suitcased. <laughs> I know, uh, yeah. Yeah, hogtie, but yeah, suitcased. Yeah. Suitcased. So, uh, you know, there I am, and, and, and here's where God began to manifest himself in a real way in my life. Yeah. Um, because uh, my parole officer says, everybody leave the room, I want to be with Mr. Cropsey by, by ourselves. And she tells me, she says, and this is a hardcore parole officer, I'd had her for many, many years, I'd been on her caseload, and she said to me, she said, there's something redeemable about you, and I don't know what it is, but you're not like a lot of my other people on my caseload. She goes, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I had a pistol there and some drugs and some syringes, mm-hmm. and she said, I will put this pistol and these drugs um, in the bottom drawer of my desk, and this is something I've never done before, if you will agree to go to this Narcotics Anonymous meeting this afternoon at the Costa Mesa Alano Club. That is amazing. Right? That's God's grace just uh, happening. Oh, my gosh. God stepped me right into the middle, and it, it did not. I was not lost on me because I had been, like, in that place. I Even that time, uh, four short weeks before that, I'd been in, in Calvary Chapel, like, praying, please, I want to stay clean. I want to stay clean and, and failing, you know, because yeah. um, I was so lonely and so, uh, so living under the lie that if these people knew who I was, they'd send me away. I thought I was a big – I thought I was a fraud and a poser mm-hmm. and uh, – and, 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 there was just so much trash in my head and in my heart. And, uh, and, and so I said, uh, I would love that deal. And, and my thinking was I'm going to hop in my stolen Camaro, which was parked downstairs, and I was going to be gone, out to Riverside, to Casablanca, out of the Vario, wherever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, um, and somehow I ended up in the parking lot of that meeting. And, um, and I, don't, I don't really, really honestly don't really remember driving there. You know, I just know 20, 40 percent of Costa Mesa Lana Club. That's where I'm supposed to be in, oh, wow, 20 minutes. I pulled in the parking lot, and I was greeted with um, quite a scene. Um, punk rockers, strippers, bikers. Uh, it's like, oh, I could fit here, you know. I didn't feel what I felt when I walked into the sanctuary at Calvary Chapel. I felt, I felt and this is, this is really crazy, because I remember sitting at a table at a young people's Bible study much later on, and, uh, and, and there was 12 kids sitting at this table, just like the Last Supper. And, and I, I remember thinking how uncomfortable I was being newly, you know, in this life. Yeah. How, and, yet, and yet I was completely comfortable in a chow hall filled with murderers and, you know, gangsters. And I thought, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, with these beautiful surfer kids that are saved and serving the Lord and, and singing hymns and, and, you know, spiritual songs to, to each other and to the Lord. And I'm like, I am completely uncomfortable. Yeah. But yet, I'm, it put me in a chow hall, in a prison chow hall with all, uh, hundreds of, uh, <laughs> and yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. You know? So that was, that was, it shows you how, how far departed I was from, like, normal life. And uh, so uh, I, I went to that meeting, and um, this man stopped me on the way in, and his name was Dave Regal. And uh, he, he's passed now. He was my, ended up being my NA sponsor for, I don't know, 14 years. But uh, he told me, he said, whoa, right there, stop. This guy weighed a buck 50. I was like 270. Mm-hmm. You know, I just come out of the, off the yard bench and over 400 pounds, and I was a beast, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 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 he's like, I don't, I don't like you guys coming from prison and you come in here and you grab the newcomer chicks and you go back to prison and you don't care and you never take getting clean seriously, but I have to let you stay. So I'm going to tell you, if you want to live because you're dying, if you want to live, you'll go in there and you'll listen for the similarities and not the differences. And I walked into that meeting and two things happened. One, I suddenly realized what he said to me was true. If I would have looked for the differences, I would have thought I spilled more dope than you ever did. What are those tattoos? Decals? You know, I would have judged everybody. Yeah. Because, and that's fear-based. That's, yeah. I'm just so afraid 
of you seeing who I really am, that I've covered myself with tattoos and muscles and fear, fear, fear. And so then the guy leading the meeting was my friend Cecil Holland, who I'd known since we were kids. And we came up through the system together, and he had disappeared. He was gone for four years. Everybody thought he was dead because you don't just stop going to prison. Yeah. You don't stop going to places like the Caravan Inn, even if everybody else is in the pen and you're everybody knows where you are, and he was just gone. And there he was leading that Narcotics Anonymous meeting. That is and I had a paradigm shift right then, bro. I was like, here's my home. These are my peeps. And uh, I was already strung out. I couldn't get clean. Um, 30 days later, my parole officer said, I have to send you back. I went back for XCOM with a gun. I did two years. And, uh, and, and in that time, uh, the, the, my <laughs> prison no longer fit me. I had been delivered from the idea and the lie that once a junkie, always a junkie. And I, yep. I had that happen to me expressly through Narcotics Anonymous. And yet the Lord was calling me to the church all of this time. But he used this vehicle. And so I was like, why, Lord, wouldn't you have just healed me like Mike McIntosh, like your dad, like yeah. Greg Laurie? Why, yeah. why wouldn't you have just healed me like so many, like Odin Fong, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, and he took me to Paul's plight with the thorn in his flesh. Right. And yes. all of a sudden... Um, talk, talk, break that down really quick well, for the listeners. Well, you know, Paul's before the Lord. He goes before the Lord in prayer three times. If the Apostle Paul's praying before the Lord, it's got to be pretty heavy, right? And so, and so he's praying, Lord, please um, deliver me from this thorn in my flesh, you know, a, a, an enemy sent by Satan to buffet me. And, and, and God says, whoa, 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 dude. My grace is sufficient for you. It's in your weakness my strength is made perfect. Mm-hmm. And that was when the argument about, well, you could be healed and all that just blew out of the water because I'm like, God chose not to heal me. Yeah. Why? And then I'm sitting in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. I'm reading the steps on the wall, and the third step says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And all of a sudden, it came clear. This is my fishing, fishing hole. This is my mission field. And, uh, and so, I, I, you know, a lot of people uh, get sober in the rooms and the program, and, 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 they, and they go to church, and then they leave the program behind. And, I, and God made it very clear I was not to do that. And so I've been actively participating in Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous since 1989. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't have that much time sober. I've had a couple of slips. But uh, for the last 20... Thank you, Jesus, for grace and mercy. Hey, right? All day. So I've had 24 out of the last 27 (laughs) years or 28 years sober. And uh, uh, We We have like about nine minutes left. So let's talk about this... Your books. So okay. So first love church. First love church. Uh, I graduated from the school of ministry in two thousand one. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Roger. Um, And uh, uh, I I was sent out to plant a church on the North Shore of Kauai. And I can tell my whole Hawaii story is a whole nother hour of of my life. You know. Well, maybe we'll get you back for a round two. Maybe so. So uh, I went to plant this church over there with Steve Rex, who's still the pastor of that church. I was there for a few years, and I had some really serious medical issues that uh, ended in me coming back here. And uh, uh, I've, I've been here. Um, we started First Love Church under the auspices of Braveheart in uh, 2005. Braveheart? Now, that was like a biker church. Ah! Or no, what was it? Uh, people say that. I, I hate that. It's like because well, maybe because you just reached a lot of the bike. Well, you know what it was is I was newly out of the club, and people came to see the Vago Freeway Pete and not Jesus. And um, and got although it. a lot of great work got done there, yeah. and it was an amazing thing. And uh, but so currently we're First Love Church, and uh, and First Love Church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. 
And our culture and our demographic is largely people coming from, uh, you know, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Although not exclusively. So, you know, even if you're, if you're not an addict, man, you will love our church because we hold to the Calvary distinctives. We're mm-hmm. preaching the Word of God expositionally, yeah. line by line, verse by verse, as I, was, as, as I yeah. learned from Chuck and, and, from, yep. and all these amazing men. I've been men. there. It's legit. It's awesome. You've preached there. I have. It's amazing. Yeah. And so... Um, Good people. It's an amazing. It's an amazing thing, man. And and uh, you know. And so I also work in the treatment field. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I was the director of pastoral care for a, a treatment facility. I was seventy bed treatment facility, and and I was hired there to build a Christian program within an existing traditional uh, program, uh, drug rehab program, and it blew up. People are so hungry for God. You know, one of the questions that was asked to me when I first started there was some of the other clinicians, "What are you going to do a multi faith thing?" I'm like, "No, I'm not." If we have a Muslim come in here and he, I'll hook him up with a cleric. But I had three Muslims come through there, and each one of them ended up coming to my church after meeting one-on-one with me and getting saved. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yep. really, you know, the, the, the truth of Jesus and the power that, he, that we see working. These kids are so broken. I mean, I've spent a lot of time uh, counseling um, young women from sexual trauma and, and, and all of these things that have been so, like, man, the devil is so wicked, and he hurts people so deeply and so desperately. And he hurt me so deeply and so desperately. But what's come out of that is this, uh, this empathy and this compassion where I, I get it. I get it. And, and when you tell me, hey, I was duct taped to a chair and molested brutally and you know, put to work because I was involved in human trafficking, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know. Yeah. I know that pain. Yeah. I know that pain. Yeah. And I remember... I'm going to end, probably end with this. I was two years clean, and I was asked to speak at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting in, in, in Long Beach. And there's probably a couple hundred people in there. I think, I think you still have another, like, ten minutes. Okay. So I, I was asked to speak at this meeting in Long Beach, and, um, and, and uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm in the club. I'm big. I'm, I'm powerful. I'm proud of my sobriety. I was just beginning to come into faith, real faith, yeah. lasting faith. Uh, cr- I was becoming a Christian man. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, and, and, and that wasn't an instantaneous thing, you know what I mean? I, 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 um, it was more gradual. I, I, I don't really know how to explain that, but it was. And so uh, I, I'm there, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the message of Narcotics Anonymous and the greatness of sobriety, and how you can do it too, and if you saw my life, you'd, you know, and all of a sudden God tells me, he goes, tell them about Mexico. Tell them about your molestation. And... Uh, and I started to tell the story, and I began weeping. And I went from being this 270-pound tattooed beast to being this little teeny baby in a diaper sitting on the front of that podium, just weeping, snot running down my face. And, uh, and when I was done sharing and the meeting ended, probably 40 people stayed behind for the meeting after the meeting. Dang. And it was all victims of sexual abuse. Yep. So and common. we shared, and we cried, and we wept, and we hugged each other, and we loved each other. And that was when I realized that all of those events, when God said to me, someday you'll understand why, Mm -hmm. that was the moment of understanding. Mm -hmm. That was the moment when I said, oh, I get it. And so now everywhere I've ever spoken, whether it's churches or interviews, or I, I always tell the story of what happened to me. But for years I hid I didn't tell a single person except for my father and, and one little girl who was like my first girlfriend, 10-year-old girlfriend. I, I, those are the only two people I told my entire life. I, I got a question about that. Why do you think there's such an increase in so many people getting molested or sexually abused? Why? Like, 
I mean, it just, I keep hearing this story and there's so you many. Know why, that, you know why, Ryan? Yes. No, I don't. Tell me. Relativism. Relativism. There's no absolutes in our culture today. Mm-hmm. We're morally bankrupt because nobody says that's wrong. You can find a level of approval for any kind of behavior if you look for it. 50 years ago, this country, um, so much less of these kinds of incidents. But as, as the moral, uh, the moral fabric of our culture yeah. has deteriorated, yep. now it's permissible to do things that 20 years ago were, were impermissible. And so I believe relativism and, um, and the left, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. No, um, not I sorry. believe that relativism uh, is the cause of, of, of this brokenness in our culture. Have you, have you heard uh, about the um, uh, pedophilia now? They're trying to accept it into the LGBT community. There was a TED Talk on it. Look it up. Go to TED Talks. Well, there's always been that. Uh, so they're, try- they're trying to say if you're a pedophile, that's okay because you're born this way. Yeah. But if you act out and you molest a kid or have sex with a kid, then then it's wrong. But it's okay to be a pedophile. So they're, they're bo- just blurring the lines. Bordering on, we're bordering <laughs> on accepting. Um, What's uh, next? Animals? Uh, I was born this way. I want to go have sex with animals. I'm going to marry my dog. I, I, I'm going to marry my daughter. What's, oh. I was born this way. You know, it's like crazy. It's, I mean, they, they, like, where, so do you draw really, the, it, where do you draw the lines? It, it is relativism that's at, at fault. It's because Satan is a deceiver, and he's the father of lies, and he came to seek, kill, and destroy. And, uh, you know, it, but it, and the difficult thing for me as a Christian to reconcile is this is all part of God's timetable. Mm-hmm. It, it makes it clear as it was in the times of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And, uh, and, and I think we're farther than that. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe Think so. about this. I mean, we're, we're accepting pedophiles now. I mean, it's like, it's pretty, we, we don't even know our own gender anymore. I mean, it doesn't matter what you have between your legs. You're just, however you feel. I mean, think about the days of Noah. We're gnarly, but like, <laughs> look at what we're really no. facing. And so, Maranatha, <laughs> come Lord Jesus, come. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, there's going to be that moment when that last sinner is going to uh, pray that sinner's prayer yeah. and booyah. Yep. We're out of here. Yep. But until then, we got to reach as many people as possible with Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. Until then, we got to live the gospel. Yeah, and that's you know that's one of the beautiful things about First Love Church. Not that we, uh, you know, we have some crazy people coming to our church, and we have some really amazing, steeped, um, seasoned Christians at our church. Yeah. But I want to be a place where salvation is available to those people who feel like they can't walk through the doors of a conventional church. Uh, that's the way Calvary Chapel was in the '60s. It's, your church is very accepting. You walk in, you're, you know, everyone's very. We're not loving. accepting of sin, but we're accepting of sinners. Yes, yes. You yeah. aren't going to feel out of place. You know, there's going to be a lot of love there, and, and a lot grace. of love, a lot of acceptance, and the gospel, the truth. So it's First Love Church. Yeah, uh, you, you can check our, our website is kind of in a state of flux right now, but FirstLoveChurch.net. We're building a new one. Um, I, I've written two books, uh, um, Dead Man Waking, which is uh, basically autobiographical, and, um, and the sequel to Dead Man Waking, which is called Eddie. Eddie Where do Wilkins they find is, these? Eddie Wilkins is the, uh, you can go to deadmanwaking.net or on Amazon, type in Peter C. Cropsey or Dead Man Waking, and, uh, and they're available for purchase there. Uh, I, um, I, I loved writing these two books and um and it was really cathartic for me but i've i've gotten emails and i've had comments from people around the world that uh 
you know, these books have transformed, helped to transform their lives. And they're not come to Jesus books. You know, they basically outline uh, what the, I would say if I had to describe Dead Man Waking, it's God's pursuit of a young man who's equipped with nothing but a heroin habit and a broken decision maker. Mm-hmm. And and we see God, and you and you live through Eddie and all his escapades, and and all the time he's um, he's making these thoughts, and he's having these thoughts about the lifestyle that he's living, and so you become you root for Eddie, you yeah. root for him, and you're like, okay, man, I you know there's goodness in you, yeah. it's just buried deep, yeah. and uh, and we begin to see God. By the time you get done with Eddie, the second book, we begin to see now the third book I'm writing right now is called Reconciled, and this is where Jesus fully has his way, and Eddie steps into ministry and, and fulfills his calling as a minister. That's amazing. Now, with the last few minutes of the show. There's people that are listening, they're, they're relating to the similarities, like you would say. And uh, what would you like to say to them in closing, um, no matter where they're at in their life, what they're going through, maybe they're relating exactly to what you've been through. What are the steps for them right now at this moment as they're listening, moving forward, what should they do? Okay, well, I'm going to be real plain and simple about that. Um, it, you know, if you're suffering from heroin addiction, any kind of opiate addiction, benzodiazepines, uh, methamphetamine, uh, find yourself a reputable detox and get in there. Yeah. That's the first step, man. The first step is admitting that you have a problem and taking action to solve that problem. And the first step to solving that problem is separation from the drugs. But then you need to find a place where um, you're going to be able to flourish and you're going to need to find uh, some people that are going to infuse in you some passion and some purpose. Um, we... Uh, um, you know, firstlovechurch.net, uh, I would like to help you. I would like to help you. You can find me. I, I'm, I'm kind of like, how would they do that right now? But I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, my email is petecropsy yeah. at yahoo.com, petecropsy at yahoo.com. And if you need help, uh, reach out to me, and I have a place for you. And uh, I, I have my fingers on the pulse of a lot of different treatment centers that bring people to my church. And I, I, I work in some different treatment centers, um, facilitating groups and doing one-on-one counseling. Yep. So, um, yeah, Pete Cropsey at Yahoo.com, and I will do my very best to help you. And his name is in the YouTube link. So you can yeah. look it up right there. And you know what? Let me... Let me pray, Ryan. Can we yeah. pray for these people right now? Um, uh, and so, if you're suffering, uh, this prayer is for you. Um, so, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and uh, oh Lord, we, Ryan and I both are so familiar with the pain and separate of separation from you, the pain of, of of being in bondage to the chains of the world, Lord God, and uh, and so we have empathy, and 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 we lift up we lift up your circumstances to the Lord God right now, and just pray that He would give you a way that he would find a door for you to open and walk into freedom. Um, you know, as long as there's air going in and out of your lungs, there's hope, and with God all things are possible. Avail yourself to him. Make that ultimate surrender and reach out because there are people who want to help you, and you do not have to live your life addicted to drugs, alcohol, um, and you do not have to carry the burden of molestation or abuse or, or, or loneliness or any of those things um, on your own by yourself. We are a family. The body of Christ is a family. So, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would just minister to these people, and, uh, and, and let's get us all healed, Lord God. Bring us into a, a, a family. Bring us into a corporate collection of believers who, who have suffered together and separately and have been brought together under one banner, and that is the banner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So the good news is, amen, by the way, the good news, listeners, is that God has a plan and a purpose for all of you. Mm -hmm. And uh, his grace and mercy is new every day. And um, he'll walk with you. Just talk to him. Ask him, God, show up in my life. And, you know, I need help with this. I need help with that. And seek him. Seek him and you will find him. Seek him means to search him out, to be on the hunt for, to look out for him. To be on the lookout. That's the dictionary term for seek. Seek him and you will find him. Knock and the door will be open. If you're truly seeking him, that means you're on the lookout for God. you got to be looking out for him in every day in your life. And how you seek him also is you read the Bible. So you can know what he says about himself and who he is. Pete, thank you for being oh, on the thank show. Thank you so much for having me, brother. We got to do it again. Yes, we will. We got to take live calls next time. Okay. That would be That'd sick. That would be really good. So then they can call you and talk to you. Yeah. All right, we love you guys. Talk to you guys next week. God bless. This has been Live with Ryan Reese. To connect or find out more about Ryan, click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for Live with Ryan Reese.